0: Your wireless bill just switched to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
1: I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now.
0: Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com. And joining me on the other line, I've always got a spare boy genius
1: ticket for him. It's Andy Greenwald! Don't get me in trouble. I'm going to go down the Mare of Indie Rock rabbit hole. Are you really? I don't think people want that from us. I, that's the vibe I'm getting.
0: Oh, people want us to stick to just the facts, ma'am?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they just want they just want the law and order version of this of this cop show. They don't want to know how big this gets in the pitchfork uh, BNM community.
0: Say no more, Andy. We'll we'll stick to the facts. Today we are going to talk about Mayor of Town episode 3 and we're also going to go over a couple of other things that have popped up in the news over the weekend. Uh, let's do our perfunctory fur clearing first. Andy, how are you? How was your weekend?
1: perfunctory
0: it's not perfunctory but i think that like you know you and i are in pretty close contact so this is more of a performative element of our friendship right
1: i don't hold anything back i mean people do do people think i have more content that i don't share (laughs) this is me man no i mean you know i I went for a run and i i tried flame and cheetos ice cream that's my on your
0: instagram story how was that flame and cheetos ice cream
1: first of all shouts to scoops Best ice cream in Los Angeles, I think. You're not really ad. much
0: of a dessert guy, I thought.
1: I don't like ice cream, but yeah. I realized I like Scoop's ice cream. I think they make the best kinds. They always have new flavors. Keep you guessing. Uh-huh. A lot of good. I like the consistency. It's good stuff. I enjoyed a cone. And I'm not, look, I'm not, I, I don't want to just be like, you know, a keyboard jockey. Here. I don't want people to think that I went in, perused <laughs> the list of like dozen flavors. and was like, give me the one based on a spicy corn snack that's clearly here as a gimmick. I was like, sir- what a fascinating concoction. Too bad we don't do taste tests anymore in the age of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, because I would have tasted that for sure. But instead, give me a scoop of your finest cherry yuzu honey ice cream, which is very on brand. But then the guy was like, look, I, I'd love you to try it. I'm going to put a little baby, little baby hat of Flamin' Cheetos. And <laughs> I was like, is that a good match with cherries and yuzus? Doesn't matter. Delicious. Okay. A great ice cream. I recommend it. But that that's as high as it got.
0: My weekend was mostly dedicated to doing one of the weirder watching experiments that I have done in a long time. And I don't know if I'd recommend this to anyone, but I thought this would be a fun place for us to start. So about a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you saw that there was like a lot of headlines about the For All Mankind season two finale. I sure did. People were invoking Battle of the Bastards. People were like, that was lunacy. That was so crazy. That was so good. That was The show made the leap. And I was just like... You pulled me back in for all mankind. Like, I'd Mm -hmm. I'd watched the first few episodes of this first season. And I was just like, I can't remember what else was going on in my life at that point where I felt inundated with test pilot content for some reason. Like you had a
1: whole bit. You were like, I'm not going to space anymore. Well, it was more
0: just like, I'm not going to start at zero. You know what I mean? Like I think also you were watching
1: the right stuff, Remake.
0: I was watching the right stuff, Remake, For All Mankind was on. I I feel like I was just like, you know what? I got it. These guys were the best and the brightest. They flew fast. They flew
1: high. This might have gotten lost in the pandemic, but people might not remember that you were single-handedly spearheading the Save Avenue 5 campaign at that time as well. (laughs) You had a giant billboard (laughs) devoted to all our favorite Avenue 5 characters like Hugh Laurie and... The other guys. Right?
0: <laughs> yes. So yeah, I was still i was still just like garden guarding the Orville until <laughs> until the guys <cast> came <laughs> up. No, look, so this is one of those strange things that I felt like quickly once I'm kind of tapped out on the first few episodes of for all my can then the second season comes. Positive reviews, people talking about how it yeah. uh, made the leap. Like people like were just like, you know, this show has really like gone to different places. And There is a sensation that I think you can have as a viewer these days where it feels like a show has left the harbor without you. And I just had this experience even today, kind of reading a little bit about the new season of Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, huh. So all that's happened since the last time I've watched Handmaid's Tale. And I kind of, I don't, I don't really plan on going back to Handmaid's Tale. So I didn't mind having a bunch of this stuff spoiled. But when you read what happens in a show in between the two or three seasons you haven't been watching... It truly is like a psychedelic experience. You know, if you just read like the plot breakdown of two seasons of Handmaid's Tale, you're just like, what planet am I on, basically?
1: Who was the actor last year who was on a, like a, a a wellness retreat and cleanse when the pandemic started and came back and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. Who was it? <laughs> there was some. Jared accident. Leto. Jared Leto. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Kaya. Kaya. It's so um, perfect that it's Leto.
0: So anyway, like I didn't, I just wanted to see like what what the hubbub was about was For All Mankind. But I personally did decided not to dedicate 17 hours of catching up with season one and then watching season two. I basically skimmed season one a little bit. Like I Mm. noticed that there were a few particular episodes that I needed to maybe catch. But for the most part, I, I basically read about it. And then I started season two. I was telling Michael Bauman, who is the Ringer's resident For All Mankind fan about this. And he was like, that's crazy. But let me know how it goes. I think I watched season two in about four days cumulatively. I just had some free time. So I I just let episodes rock and it's fucking good, man. It's like a really, really, really good show. They, the space stuff especially is just like a cut above uh, more or less anything I've seen on TV before, like in terms of that kind of sci-fi stuff, maybe since Battlestar, which makes sense with Ronald D. Moore working on both. But there was this feeling I, I I got when I got to the end of it, which I won't spoil for people who haven't seen it. Maybe I'll maybe Bauman can come and chat with me about it at some point. Where I'm trying to get my my to articulate this, and maybe you can help me with this a little bit. Okay. So it's essentially about like you know the, a lot of the shows that you and I have talked about. I'm sure we get very immersed in the plot, like when we talk about the Bureau or when we've talked about like Dark before. Yeah. Like we can really get lost in the sauce of like. Then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And that's kind of like the way these shows are told where almost 99% of the screen is dedicated to this sort of yards gained by of plot. Like it just is really a more about plot than it is maybe story where um, I feel like even when you watch say Saul, which is plotted to within an inch of its life, like everything in that Breaking Bad style works like a, like you used to say, like a beautiful watch But there is like a thematic kind of heaviness to it and an atmospheric feeling to it. And the character depth, it goes in different directions so that you are kind of attracted to the fact that like um, Saul and Kim just eat Thai food together. Like you get lost in these details. I never really necessarily felt that way with For All Mankind. I definitely felt like every single scene... Was either about reinforcing the ideas of the show, like the the sort of themes of the show about exploration and about like you know pushing the boundaries, and then all the dialogue was essentially like we need to go to this space station to do this thing, but here is the obstacle, you know. And I I wish I could give it a name. I wish I could mm. name because I think it's something that I th- that when you find uh, yourself into these shows, but having a hard time explaining to other people like here's the case for why you should watch it. It's not going to change your life, kind of show, but it is a show that like is actually a really rewarding viewing experience, and it almost feels very old school. Am I am I just like going off into circles, or do you understand what I'm saying?
1: No, I understand you, but I feel like you're at the end there. It seemed like you were saying two different things because I I think that there are look, we're basically just enjoying a return to long form yeah. series building. I think yes. that's part of what's fueling our adoration of Le Bureau, and you know why we're so excited to be talking about that on a special podcast. I think that it's also something that I think I'll circle back to when we start talking about Mayor of Easttown today, which is generally my enjoyment of TV. And not everyone is like this. Everyone enjoys TV in different ways. But my enjoyment of drama series tends to be plot is the thing that happens in the background while we're, while we're getting to know the friends we're meeting along the way. Uh huh. I don't watch shows to answer questions or to find out what happens. And generally, my richest enjoyment in a show like Even Better Call Saul, which, as you point out, is, is so heavily plotted is the, is the, the thing I take away from it is that for the majority of the 40 to 50 minutes, I know there's an objective, an overall objective, not just for the series, but particularly for that episode, you know, Jimmy has to get out of the desert or we have to, you know, Lalo can't find out that X, Y, or Z thing is going to happen. But you're so enraptured and delighted and connected to the, the, the minute by minute Story, the, mm-hmm. the 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 dialogue, the vibe, the character interactions, the jokes—that that's where you're living. So so much so that when the episode ends, it takes your breath away because you weren't prepared for it. You weren't looking at the destination, and so when you were describing your enjoyment of For a Mankind, I thought you were saying that. But then in, there was the other thread through your your commentary, which suggested that on that level, maybe the show came up a little bit short because you said that the, the the scene scene work, scene to scene, character to character, felt more prosaic.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, like, I think one thing that was refreshing about this show and more has talked about this in interviews is that it's not a mystery box show. Like for as much as there are revelations and twists and I think very brave moments, and one one thing that's very cool about it is that I think they have basically a, a seven season arc for the show and they I think have been you know renewed through 4. So, this idea is that it's like a generational story and that the cast will essentially cycle out. Like they are going to have probably an all different cast by the end of the series that they did when they started it.
1: We should do that for podcasts, but we though. should.
0: Just I mean, and, I, I, and I've been I've been working with some of our replacements, and I think that they, there's a lot of potential there. But I, I think that there is something refreshing about the fact that I'm not watching something to solve it, like you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. and and you know, even Mare has like a central mystery, and even Mare dedicates a pretty big part of its pie to could it be frank or could it be mm-hmm. the deacon or could it, is this guy looking a little shifty this week you know and, and and that doesn't necessarily happen with for all mankind there is a lot of like holy shit will like this guy nuke the moon but there's
1: <laughs> you had my interest now you have my attention <laughs> yeah
0: but it th- for the most part it's not you know uh will we get into space or like how did do- it doesn't start with some war on this right. other planet I- and wonder how we got
1: there I- I'm thrilled that you've discovered the show yeah. um, and and are enjoying it. And I would like to go to, I would like to join you. I'll also say that it would be, I'd be interested in serving as, as you just did, as a test case for a theory that I was pushing for a while when I was a TV critic, which is, you know, find your own way into stuff. Yeah. There were a number of shows that there did seem to be a higher than usual barrier for entry for some people. Uh, the Leftovers was one, Halt and Catch Fire was another. Both shows now, in retrospect, have become absolutely adored, um, beloved series. But at the time, you know, I think that even... You know what? I don't even say at the time. The first season of Leftovers is contentious. Some people adore it. Some people don't. People know that I think two and three are absolute God-level TV, and I thought one was challenging at times. Mm-hmm. Halt and Catch Fire, I think even the people who have discovered that show and uh, now truly adore what a what a what a gem that it was, thanks to it now that it's on Netflix, more and more people are... are, are Putting themselves in that category. The first season isn't a struggle to watch, but it is that you see and feel the show struggling to figure out what it's gonna be. And it's incredible then what it becomes. I would say, I know this might be heresy in some quarters, but like enter, do it, watch the stuff how you want. And mm-hmm. the thing is, if you enter into a season, into if you enter with season two, season one still exists. And you might enjoy it and appreciate it in a different way. Now that you know that you are committed and yeah. that you're all in, it could it could expand or you know or, or complicate your experience. So I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think that just with the sheer volume of stuff we have, that that you have to do it one way, or you're robbing yourself of X, Y, or Z experience it might be going out the window. But I'm curious with this one because, like you, I watched the beginning of For All Mankind, and I thought it was just expertly made and gripping and you know beautiful TV, which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel exceptional enough to drag to, to for me to continue the ride because the beginning and I think this is part of the construction of the show correct me if I'm wrong is that it starts from a familiar place it's very much on every place. level yeah it's and essentially
0: then, it's essentially like it starts and it is the right stuff until there is this huge break with our our you know accepted timeline that we have here in reality and it's like well what if this had happened what if the russians had beaten us to the moon what if then the russians put a woman in space thus prompting Nixon to speed women into NASA and 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 elevate them to the point where by the end of season two, women basically run NASA. And it's like a really fascinating trip through that, but it's also about, like, I, I kind of like the optimism of it. And I, I mean, just on a technical level, it's just made incredibly well. But, you know, your your point is well taken. Like, I think that, and this segues into the next thing I think we're going to talk about before we get to Mare. There is a consequence of the dominance of superhero and specifically comic book stuff becoming the the coin of the realm essentially because I think it demands such an intense uh scholarship to follow mm-hmm. you know and it, it it asks you you can you can casually follow Marvel stuff i don't know how rewarding it is to just sort of be like, "Oh yeah, I skipped two movies and watched four episodes of Wanda and then like really dug into. to falcon and winter soldier i don't know if that could possibly work but because it asks you to be on top of so much not only Mm -hmm. what you're watching but what came before and what will come after and that's what cumulatively builds into this experience you know we kind of have lost sight of how people used to watch tv which is a little bit more piecemeal
1: yeah uh, piecemeal and i think um
0: at their own pace
1: that's exactly right. I think the pace, and I and, and I do think we're headed towards towards that place. And one of the we should say this because we we do like to cover things from from all angles of the industry. Apple can afford to wait. You know, Apple I think feels really good about the show. Very excited about where it's going. They must be thrilled that it is now achieving you know some critical recognition, particularly from Chris Ryan on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but, but 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 more broadly. They are in a position that, you know, that few other companies are where they can just keep spending a ton of money on the show waiting for the audience to find it. It's going to be there for them to find. And that also then, in turn, might play into people's confidence and commitment, confidence in making the commitment to the show. Knowing that if you, you know, there's, I think they're probably in beginning production of season three now, but you can... You can get into the show season one or two or do two than one, get freaky, whatever. There's going to be a bunch more seasons. So that, it's, it's interesting. It'll be cool to watch. I will try to catch up to you.
0: So speaking of Marvel, we should talk about like this video that was released, um, mm-hmm. I guess, today, which is essentially a kind of hybrid welcome back to the movies slash mm-hmm. here's phase four, right? Here's, here's what's coming up yep. in the next two years. I think up through summer of 23, they have plotted out. And we get to see our first sort of glimpses of a few newer films from uh especially The Eternals, I think is the one that grabbed everybody's attention. But Black Widow, uh Shang-Chi, The Eternals, the I think the Doctor Strange sequel, um, I think the new Ant-Man.
1: Yeah, the official release dates and titles for I mean, we already knew the Spider-Man and Doctor Strange movies, but the Ant-Man threequel, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh the Captain Marvel sequel, which I think is kind of interesting. And the Black Panther sequel. And yeah, Black an Panther Wakanda
0: Forever. And then I think Captain Marvel 2 is essentially called the Marvels, right?
1: Yeah, which is interesting. I want to come to that.
0: Okay. So hit me hit me with your thoughts because you, you I did not expect you yes. to get absolutely like emotional over Marvel
1: Spawn. I, I am not a synthesoid. Okay, I was not created out of one of Thanos's infinity stones.
0: But we just spent. So let's just but we did just spend the last like two months being like, "Eh, are we sure this is good?
1: Look, I I am a human being. And for example, yesterday I was sitting on my couch uh, looking at a book, but the TV had been left on and it was just a screensaver for my Apple TV. And it was a stunning drone shot of San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. And I just stared at it slack-jawed for five and a half minutes. I was like, man, that's a beautiful bridge. You know what I mean? Like, had no story, had no connection to my life. But I was like, man, look at the color of the water. Uh, Incredible. Like, it was just one of those moments. Just just a
0: a plastic bag floating in the air.
1: (laughs) It's just a video from my mentally ill elder brother of his feet in the the sand. (laughs) Shout out to the Mare of Easton episode we're about to talk about. So- what I mean to say is broad strokes aimed directly at the feeling centers of us work on me. And Marvel, I think, as evidenced by the, you know, again, we talked about these ad infinitum for weeks and we continue, we will. They, they, both these shows, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, were huge successes, I think, by almost every metric. But the way we cover them, the way we, felt about them, there were a lot of growing pains as they sought to figure out how they tell their stories and their universe on a different medium. It is a giant storytelling machine that is aimed at giant gestures, you know? And in some ways, I mean, this is true for a lot of action movies, but the broadest gestures, the trailers, are more successful than the two-hour films Mm -hmm. because it's just the jaw-dropping, heart-tugging moments. So all this is to say, they really know how to put this thing together. They got Stan Lee's voice talking about how we're all one people, which, you know, as someone who not just grew up reading Marvel Comics, but had like a flexi-disc of like The Adventures of Spider-Man narrated by Stan Lee. That's gonna get me. And it's a reminder, you know, we were talking about the Oscars last week and I was like, I, I have a very complicated relationship with movies need every year to be like, we're movies. Remember movies? Yes. This was that, but successful, where they were like, hey, remember what we did where we took 200 random characters and then made you go ape shit when they walked out of portals to fight Josh Brolin? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's incredible that they did that. Because we were, were lost were in like the weeds. Were you like one of the
0: people like cheering when that happened?
1: Didn't I see it with you? Did you? Didn't I see it quietly next to you at the Vista <laughs> at like 6 p.m.?
0: No, that was, um, we saw Captain Marvel together. and I. Think oh, I
1: saw, oh, right, I saw it. I think I fell no. asleep
0: on your shoulder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I was like, the cat's an alien, wake up. Um, <laughs> no, I did not stand up and cheer, but I got me. I mean, it's a it's a beautifully staged uh, moment. And so all that was to say that that plus the like, we're going to do this again. We're going to have <laughs> life back again. It's Monday morning. I don't know. It got, it absolutely worked for me. And then, because my fandom of the Marvel stuff isn't just um, talking about it, you know, in terms of its role in the industry and how the machine works, I'm curious what they're going to do next. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think a lot of us thought that the missing pieces of of Phase 4 would be whatever the next Avengers incarnation is, whether it's literally another movie called Avengers, but with a different team, or is something taking the place of it or what it's going to be. Of course, there are more shoes to drop, but as you said, the next two years are pretty much plotted and there's nothing Avengers-y. I mean, all these people are Avengers, but that's not what's in the cards. There's so not a team
0: up the movie. There's not a team.
1: Except something hiding at the end. So to go through the quickly broad strokes, um, it was very cool and obviously very intentional that the first shot that any of us get of Chloe Jowsey Eternals makes it seem as if the film is set in the writer continuity. Mm-hmm. The first shot that we get to see of the movie is of Salma Hayek, dressed as a Larry McMurtry character on a horse. <laughs> Those of us, shout out to the Mark Maron interview with Salma Hayek, where <laughs> she talks about her rela- her beautiful relationship to horses that has had, you know, it's ebbed and flowed over the years, but it seems to be <laughs> flowing right now. So the film is set in familiar territory for Chloe Zhao, which is cool. And smaller things in the trailer. I mean, I'm looking for this, but there were, in the images that we saw, I think they were very specifically chosen to showcase the fact that they are not a group of actors standing in front of the Unreal Gaming Engine in a soundstage in Atlanta, that she did film it on location. Well,
0: now that Kevin Feige has discovered cinema, a- anything's possible, man. <laughs> what was that quote? <laughs> he was just like, "It was really like they were basically like we saw like the Eternals footage, and we were like, we didn't know you could do this in the real world."
1: Yeah, there's like there's there's ocean waves <laughs> behind rocks, and I was like, "Is this in who, camera?" Who did and these they were special
0: like, effects? It's like, no, dog, that's Big Sir. <laughs> do
1: you think who do you think's the one that turned to to Kevin and gave him the Morpheus in the Matrix speech, where he's just like? you've just never used your eyes before. Scorsese. Yeah, it was Scorsese. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool and interesting. Wakanda Forever, obviously a a smartly chosen name for a movie that's going to be a very emotional and also very fascinating exercise for those involved without Chadwick Boseman. And then the thing that kind of was interesting to me at the end, and there are a lot of different ways to play this, but... So the Captain Marvel movie, which you and I napped through together, was, regardless of our own mild criticisms, a massive success, Mm -hmm. right? I mean... The benchmark for the success of these movies is the billion-dollar threshold that crossed that. It was a $1.1 billion grosser worldwide. So there was never a question that they were going to make more. What's interesting is that they are not branding this as Captain Marvel 2. They are branding it as the Marvels and doing something that, to my knowledge, and I'm sure listeners will correct me if I'm wrong about this, has never explicitly been done in the comics, which is uniting three characters who have a connection to the name. Of Captain Marvel. And in this case, it's Carol Danvers, a Brie Larson's character, who is Captain Marvel in the Marvel universe. But when she reclaimed the the name of Captain Marvel, one of the people she was reclaiming it from was the character that Tiona Paris played in Wandavision, okay. who I, I think is now called, oh God, I, I was I'm Isn't always it getting Spectrum this or something. Spectrum, right. right. I was like, which uh which internet delivery service slash. I was cable gonna providers? say they should
0: really audience test Spectrum as a name with some people in Los Angeles for the yeah, very it's like, specific. Your new heroine,
1: DirecTV. <laughs> and Ms. Marvel, who is the teen Pakistani American teen superhero who I've raved about on the show, who is getting it, who's going to be I, I believe introduced, although we could be wrong about that, maybe she'll show up elsewhere, but is getting her own uh um Disney Plus TV show. Mm-hmm. And Ms. Marvel was the name that Carol Danvers went by in the comics before she became fully Captain Marvel. Gotcha. And I think the character worships Carol Danvers. But it's basically saying kind of an ad hoc super team of these three women. And it's a cool idea. And it's kind of thing that I'm surprised hasn't been done in the comics. The interesting thing about it on top, it, 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 I'm slightly interested, does it seem like a demotion for Brie right. Larson? Like, Paul Rudd as Ant-Man gets... No, no more so.
0: No more so than Iron Man being like the second fiddle in a Captain America movie was. You know what I mean? Like,
1: I think that they. Yeah, but that wasn't his movie. Captain no, I, Mer- it was still a Captain America movie.
0: Sure, but I think that. Um, I would say that for that character, or at least the way that they've rendered her on, on screen, I'm not really familiar with her in the comics. Mm-hmm. She could use some help. You know what I mean? Like, she I, is. A, I agree with that. She is a a god who can take down spaceships and, like, I think could use a little bit of, like, of an ensemble.
1: I agree. I mean, I I think potentially we don't, we know nothing about this movie other than Nia DaCosta's directing it, which is very cool. Just as people who are not super fans of the first movie, it seems like a very smart course correct to be like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to reframe the character to Mm -hmm. have her make sense because, as you pointed out, she is an intergalactic super god, basically, at this point. And so what's interesting about that, if she's not, you know, doing what they're doing with Thor, which is basically making a Taika Waititi comedy. Um, so that's that's interesting. I guess the other take on it would be, is that kind of just smudging and blurring of the margins of characters and the boundaries between them where we are headed because of the TV expansion, which is where everything is really just, the next thing really honestly is chapter 37 or chapter 41 or chapter 78 in the Marvel story. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we, it, it's basically what we were saying about the next season, quote unquote, of Falcon and Winter Soldier. It doesn't have to be Falcon and Winter Soldier. It could be Bucky with the Dora Milaje or whomever. Mm -hmm. And that's the next season. Are the movies turning into that too? I thought that up to now, the movies had been distinct chapters of these characters, but everything is getting a little. Yeah, I'm curious to
0: see to the extent to which it feels like a reset, like a hard reset. And we'll look back at the years 2018 to 23 as the same way we look back at 08 to 11 in the mm-hmm. first couple of phases of Marvel and that they're essentially like farming out the remaining members of like the old Marvel regi- regime to bring along this new crew of stars, you know, and whether, and, and, and basically test out whether or not Brie Larson can be the, the Hulk of the new se- series of films. You know what I mean? Whether or not you can have a series of films that are built around, um, around her, around Pratt, around, Cumberbatch or whoever you know and, right. and kind of and or or even if that's if that's an outmoded idea that you do these solo films it, to get to a group film that is the billion dollar one if Captain Marvel makes a billion dollars like do you really need to make Avengers movies
1: is this also like that period in 08 to 11 when Barack Obama brought back a lot of Clinton people that's like right. Mary Summers to run Treasury you know but maybe <laughs> maybe Janet Yellen like just needed a little extra seasoning that's right before she could join the Marvels that's right. or whatever is that accurate?
0: I like that. Um, yeah. Hey, before we get to Mer, can I, can I just mention to you that... Uh, did you see the stuff about this show, 1899? Um, I want to
1: talk about this, yeah.
0: So this is uh, very cool. It, it's, it's the... It, a teaser went up over the weekend or, or just today, I think. And there's a big deadline story about it. It's this show that Netflix is making with the creators of Dark. And Dark, obviously, was a show that Andy and I spent a lot of time chasing our tales about over the course of three seasons. three. uh, Speaking of shows that leave the harbor and you can feel a little bit lost, like I do not recommend starting Dark on season two, by the way. Great point. That (laughs) one doesn't work for
1: that. You got to start that one at the beginning.
0: But the guys who did uh, Dark are making this new show called 1899, which has an incredible premise, which is essentially a boat that's going from Europe to the States uh, Mm -hmm. carrying immigrants. Uh, And it's a pan-European... You know, cast of of characters, and they're all on this boat that's heading to America, and something happens. You know, if you look at the the teaser, it's all these different languages speaking, but it's like alluding to secrets and like what is that in the water and all this stuff. So, I think that if you and the guys say if you like dark, I think you know to expect something like that from us. And great premise, and apparently, like the big. A big note here is that they are using Mandalorian technology. So they have built in Germany their own Manhattan Beach-style studio where you're essentially projecting landscapes and backgrounds uh, on these LED screen walls, and and you can manipulate those so that you can like track in and track out, and the, the the landscape changes as the camera you know moves in and out. But you know it's wild to see this technology proliferating, and it'll be really interesting to see how it affects. TV making going forward. I mean, they obviously made a huge investment to build this in Germany and Netflix has made a huge commitment to international television. Dark's probably one of its big international hits in terms of uh, the inroads it made in the States. I don't really have a lot to say about it because there hasn't been any real... Uh, I don't know any of the cast and you, you can't really divine much from the trailer, but it sure looks cool and it 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 kind of does feel like, man, the, this is there's going to be this new vein of like, blockbuster TV that seems like it's really pushing things forward technologically
1: yeah I would say first and foremost I'm psyched that they're making another mystery box show Um, I know we were saying at the beginning talking about For All Mankind that Mm -hmm. we're happy to have some shows that aren't that but you and I and millions of others loved shows like Lost and I like there to be more of them and I think I'm very happy to outsource that entertainment to the German (laughs) lunatics responsible for Dark because Dark was a hell of a good watch. It was so far up its own ass. It's insane. But it was really fun and mind-bending and just a pleasure to have. And so I'm glad they're making another show like that. That's part of it. The second thing was, I'm grateful to this story because blame me, blame my Luddism or not taking advantage of having Sam Essmiles offers to explain it to me more. But this article in Netflix, which people can check out, really- I'm sorry, the article about Netflix, but it was on deadline about the show, was probably the the best explainer that I've gotten about yeah. what we're talking about when we're talking about Manhattan Beach technology or Mandalorian tech. and The basically Manhattan what,
0: Beach project, yeah.
1: Basically, and I, again, correct me if I'm wrong about this too, uh, Eagle, your listeners, but previously the thing that made CGI not just expensive but slow was you would you know, shoot the characters in front of a green screen wearing ping pong balls. And then all that footage would go to the uh, CGI company who would basically render stuff and digitize stuff and animate stuff and then send you schematics and it would go back and forth and it would just take a lot of time and money. What these new studios do is basically instead of green screens, they are LED highest quality projection walls on all sides. And they render the landscapes in real time. So if you were standing there watching, um, uh, well, I was going to say Pedro Pascal, but he's probably getting an espresso in his trailer. But the person wearing his suit, walking across Tatooine, you would see an actor in a room, but all around him is Tatooine. Mm -hmm. Like he's So it's actually happening and you're filming it in camera. And the interesting thing about the show 1899 is that when they pitched it, it was going to be a pan-European show in all senses, not just in terms of its reach. They were going to shoot
0: in all these different countries. Yeah.
1: And then pandemic and they couldn't. And so then it became the best test case for them to just do it all in one place. They still had to go out though and film the landscapes and then not just film the landscapes and project them on the back like a Zoom background or something. They had to film the landscapes and then digitally 3D render them so that they can be moved in and out of and yes. the perspective is correct. It's incredibly complicated. Right. And we're probably doing a I'm probably doing a poor job explaining it. But to Kevin Feige's point of is this in camera? The people you hear people say in camera. In camera means did you just film it on the day that way. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing about the Mandalorian tech is yes. All the stuff around it isn't really there, but you're filming it with a camera. Yeah, and so I think you can then my big hope is that post and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: I hope that it does. I would say that one of the things the Mandalorian has going for all jokes about Pedro Pascal working three days a year aside, is that I personally think you can tell a you can see a difference in the performances. I think that when you ask actors to stand in front of a green screen and talk to a tennis ball that's six feet taller than them, and that's mm-hmm. supposed to be Mark Ruffalo. That's gonna like have one kind of performance, and you can get really, really, really good at it. You can get really good at pretending like you're talking to Thanos, even though it's not. But if you are feeling immersed in that, I mean, that's what everybody who's worked on the Mandalorian so far has said. Is just like I just fucking feels like you're in it. It feels like you're there, mm-hmm. and I don't. You know, I is there, there is not a. I it's not necessarily like I've we've had de niro and raging bull come out of mandalorian but like i do feel like the performances all feel like people who are like yes we are in a shabby bar or on the on a mountaintop in on this other planet and it it's pretty cool like i hope and and and, you know these the guys who did dark obviously they're they're just experts at building atmosphere you know regardless of whether you understood dark it was an incredible vibe. All the Patagonia, all the yeah. Audis, all the all the rain, all the, all the like time hopping. So I'm I'm really I'm really excited for this. This is probably as, as pumped up as I've gotten about a show in a while.
1: I think to put on my you know very well worn hat on this podcast, which is as Martin Scorsese surrogate. I guess the the concern trolling about the rise of this technology to me is connected to look. Let me wait. Let me take a step back it is in the best interest of studios and people who are writing the checks to rein in costs. Like, I get that. That's the job. It's important. But there is the, you know, the great Atlantification of everything or Torontification. Basically, when people are like, I've set this in a specific city because I know the city and it's, you know, it's important to the characters. And they're like, great, you're filming in Atlanta. Yes. And then everything kind of looks like Atlanta and respect to Atlanta, but it doesn't look like New York neither does Toronto. It looks like its own place, which is fine. But there already was a push toward that, you know? And I don't know if it's better or worse to say, well, okay, you wanted to go... At what point does it stop being, I know you wanted to go to Endor, but we don't have the light speed capability, so we're going to do it in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, right. Versus, I know you wanted to go to New York. I know you wanted to go to Manhattan, but we don't want to shoot there. The tax breaks aren't great. So we're go- you're going to Manhattan Beach. Well, I don't know. And it's wh- going to be digital New York.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, Martin Scorsese is also the person who is just like, rather than get a young actor who maybe looks a little like Robert De Niro, I'll just make Robert De Niro a young actor. So it, it, different strokes for different folks. Everybody plays with tools in a different way. I, I I am struggling to understand why Killers of the Flower Moon apparently will cost 200 million dollars. Maybe he's recreating certain things with LED projection for that movie like Scorsese is that but I don't understand. So yeah, I, I it'll be weird if we ever just decide that we're going to make Serpico with LED screens instead of like shooting in Queens, but like so like I'm definitely I, I interested in checking it out.
1: Killers of the Flower Moon like uh what's the guy who did um most violent year? J.C. Chandor. J.C. Chandor. Right, right, right. Frontier. So, just as a thought exercise, what would, what would J.C. Chandor's budget for Killers of the Flower Moon be? I don't think it's... I mean, I, there I, might be I honestly some... honestly don't
0: even know if it gets made, but yeah.
1: It probably doesn't get made. Because but you need to get, get Leonardo
0: cast. DiCaprio and, right. and De Niro and to I, be involved.
1: I think it's probably worth saying... And Sturgill that Simpson. The, the Scorsese... The Scorsese... And Jesse Plemons, the star of the film. Yeah. The Scorsese premium isn't necessarily about cutting-edge LED Unreal Engine rendering walls, it's I do everything the way I want to do it, and that's time and money. You know, time is money in a movie set, but basically, like, I want the best of the best in every department, and I want them available for multiple takes, and we're going to not... Oh, you want to do this in 20 days? We're going to do it in 65 days. So it's Mm going to cost three times as much as you intended it to. And I'm Scorsese, and it all hinges on me. So it does come from that, I think. But maybe, maybe he's doing a little... Stuff that's not in camera. We'll see.
0: <laughs> um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do Mare of This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast.
0: It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Okay, we're back. Uh, Let's talk about Mayor of Easttown. Goddamn, this show is my shit. (laughs) First of all, shout out to Yingling Beer for making its long-awaited appearance on this show.
1: Oh, no, it had been there. You th- it Easter had been? Easter eggs in other people's homes. They are not a lager household. They are a Rolling Rock household. But other houses, I, I, had, think, not, including I had, had not. Frank's, you had not been noticed in the first that. two episodes.
0: I had not noticed that. And uh, so I. Th- this is, and I, I want to foster a culture of accountability, so me a culpa to that. I'm sorry. It seemed like this was the first Yingling episode. Uh, this is also the mayor is an anti-hero episode. I mean, yes, I and mean, who knows what the rest of the season holds. I'm not watching ahead. My sacrifice, I hope, is noted. Um, but look, like, this is the this is the episode where, uh, you know, Mare breaks bad, if you had any sort of misgivings about that going into it. I think that this is an incredibly dense, dense episode with, like, a lot of different stuff going on. We can start in a bunch of different places, but I thought we would start with that. You and I have been watching it. The- TV for a very long time together. Uh, we've seen our main characters do all sorts of stuff. Did you have any kind of like, oh, it's not who I thought she was feelings when it turned out that she planted smack on her daughter-in-law, I guess.
1: Essentially. Yeah. The mother of her grand son. Yeah. Um, well, no. I think that one of the things that the show has done exceptionally well is... Very bread and butter TV stuff that is often overlooked and hard. What I mean by that specifically is, and a credit to Kate Winslet's performance in this as well, but Mare does whatever she feels she needs to do, always. She mm-hmm. does not uh, respect other people's boundaries, she does not respect uh, other people's perception of context or appropriateness. It was one of yeah. our favorite things about the pilot when she just cannot stop haranguing. friend, who's Katie's mother, in line to be introduced for their anniversary basketball celebration. Nor
0: can she stop herself from going over to Frank's house during game night to accuse him of impregnating a teenager.
1: Quite loudly with the door open. I mean, that was so wild reckless and the show doesn't flinch. Kate Winslet doesn't flinch. The cameras don't flinch. So we know that about her. And I thought that that was expertly done and appropriately done in the build-up to the finale of this episode. I think where it may have not lost people, but caused some people to bump a little bit, was that it was less her action and more that we left her for a moment and it was revealed the way it was revealed. Um, yeah, because you
0: don't, we don't see her go through. All we know is her sitting at the bar drinking Rolling Rock with that bag of heroin in her hand. And then which, the by the next, way, I did
1: not know what it was. I, yeah, I, I, thought I thought it, it might it have been was...
0: pills, but the next thing we know is it's the next day and... The chief comes to her house,
1: and I love that scene. I love the. I think the chief. I wish I knew. I don't have his name in front of me. The actor. I'll, I'll. I'll familiarize myself before we talk about the show again. But I. I love his performance. I love him in the rain. I love the umbrella. I love the way it was delivered. So, yeah, it it tracks, you know. And 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 I love. Look, the antihero is still a successful vehicle. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it. Yeah. It can still. It can still get out on the highway and cook. I think it's just been overused or misused. And I think one of the things that makes the show such a success is that the creators, in particular, uh, Craig Zobel, the director, and um, Brad Inglesby, the writer and creator, is they're not just concerned with the minutiae of this part of Pennsylvania. They are making the show, I believe, aware of the larger marketplace of television and where it is at the moment. And they know that though Kate Winslet is a phenomenally talented actor capable of many different, of diversity of performances, she's a movie star Mm -hmm. and she's often quite sympathetic in her roles because that's what makes movie stars movie stars. And so we go into it wanting to root for her. They also know that by giving us the sense of her almost Herculean challenges, I mean, it's just unfathomable how many things she has on her plate that we feel for her and we want her to succeed in them. And so all of that leads to the kind of you know the gut punch moment when you realize what's happened at the end of the episode. I, I think it, I think it was earned. Um, the only thing that caused me to kind of just take a moment was that we had been so attached to her yeah. point of view for the most part.
0: Yeah, I don't. I I had no, you know, like sort of moral issues with like this. Thing. I mean, obviously, I had moral issues with the, what the character did, but I had no. It didn't turn me off from the experience at all. I just thought it was interesting because I think especially, you know, this happened with like the good wife with like the whole St. Alicia part where like female leads can sometimes get Mm -hmm. sort of uh, ordained as like these perfect Mm -hmm. characters. And it was great to see someone with so many flaws. And the thing is, is like you said, it is earned. You can feel the pressure and tension and stress building over the course of the three episodes, but especially throughout the third episode with the walls kind of closing in on her. Um, The lack of kind of ideas about, what happened to Aaron that night. You know, they're running out of sort of plausible theories plus just the building of this whole uh, this whole subplot with the, the grandson. And, you know, I mean, this show still does things that we've talked about Winslet before on this level and I think that she is a great sort of um, figurehead for this cast. But this cast is kind of working at like a pretty phenomenal, like we've been doing this for 10 years level. Like the scene where uh, Gene Smart has obviously told the grandson that he might have to go live with mommy soon. Mm-hmm. And then Winslet walks back into the kitchen. Gene Smart is furiously playing an iPad for, for game. Ninja, I believe. Whatever it is. Incredible. And that three-way scene between Mare, her mom, and then Laurie, played by Julianne Nicholson, who comes in and is like, I, I'm sensing a weird energy here. <laughs> but it's still like, yeah, sure, I'll take a beer and hang out. Is just like, that kind of rapport is just really difficult to even articulate what's so beautiful about it but that feels like real people it feels like real life
1: yeah I mean I am remain totally uh floored by how funny I find the show and and compelling and likable even though if you pull back for a second and think about what you just saw it's incredibly dark it's, it's mm-hmm. black but like the scene at the 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 memorial I don't know if it's not a raffle but they're Buying burgers with tickets and stuff, and the the lady with the prowlers is, is there and the kids looking at her. And they're just there's just all this crosstalk and just lived-in kind of just almost exhaustion with each other, the familiarity of it. It's just I love, I love to be there. I did also want to say though, in terms of the to comment a little bit about the structure of the show again. This was by far the most procedural cop episode Mm -hmm. to date. There was a lot of, we're going to go talk to this person and ask some questions and go to this person and ask questions, which makes sense. This is a murder investigation show. But I was thinking specifically about how we had flagged potential Broadchurchiness in the pilot and then really brought home after the end of the second episode. For those who aren't familiar with the great British show Broadchurch, and by great, I mean the first season. You're on your own after that, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it was still good. But the thing that was crazy about that, and it kind of establishes a precedent, was the at the end of every episode, it was like, you were looking the wrong way. This guy did it. And yeah. at the beginning of the next episode, it's... And well, you we would spend a
0: week being like, I can't believe her ex-husband is right. this. And then it would be like, no, I'm, I'm not.
1: I guess what I would say is Broadchurch, like Alcohol and the Simpsons, can be the solution to or the cause of all of a show's problems. And so far, through three episodes what i like about the use of the broadchurch tropes is it just keeps it moving you know a lesser show would reveal the thing about frank or the potential story about frank at the end of the second episode that he's the father of aaron's baby and then that's what the show's about you know that that's it mm-hmm. we're going to sink into this and ho- how the the ripple effects of how horrible this is in this show when when lori comes over to tell her i was like i've conditioned to a, I think, less direct form of storytelling. You're conditioned
0: days, but... to think that Lori's gonna keep that from her for exactly. 45 minutes.
1: Yeah. And not just, it's just she tell her instantly before sitting down. They live across the field, the yard from each other. So, Mare's over there in 30 seconds flat. And then the brilliance of the scene is Frank cuts, is a shot from Frank cutting back, seeing Lori sitting there. Dude, like, I this mean, it all just happened. Go wider and so screen than move that. now we on to the next thing.
0: W- go wider than that. She should not be put on administrative leave until like the second to last episode. I don't right. know how they like I'm I can't wait to see it and maybe they will do maybe there will be some sort of plot mechanism that allows her to come back to the force officially or you know it's hard to imagine it's a 7 episode series it's hard to imagine her being on administrative leave for 4 episodes working kind of right. extracurricularly on this case I don't know if they're going to do maybe a time jump of, of, at all like about cuz you know possibly that could happen but it's hard for me to 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 fathom her being just a a woman who happens to be pursuing this on her own for
1: four hours. Now, the downside, I agree, the downside of that kind of um, sped up, broad churchy and storytelling, does it defang things slightly? So let me put this all under the larger heading of, I just love being in this world and I think it's brilliant. And so I don't care who did it, honestly. I mean, we'll find out. That's the beauty of it. We'll find out. I don't care. I'm not in any rush. That said... The shadowy deacon who, you know, had a had a big scarlet M for maybe guilty mm-hmm. hung on him. I, I can workshop that. Last week. So this week we find out that not only is he hiding some things, not only was he the recipient of the last phone call from Aaron, but he's also toting her huffy in the back of his station yes. wagon, which he disposes of. The broad church uh, applica- application of the broad church logic suggests that while he made a sketchy phone call and had a sketchy relationship, and got rid of the bike, he's probably not the killer.
0: He's just a stickler for clean parks.
1: He just... You know or... What I mean? He's bought and sold by Big Auto. He yeah. hates bicycles. <laughs> he
0: hates puppies
1: <laughs> No, that.
0: but that's the thing is that you're right. It's like, it, it, by the logic of the way the show has been set up so far, the first 15 minutes of episode four should be the deacon being like, it was completely innocent. I just found her bike... Didn't know it belonged to her and threw it out, you know what I mean? Pa- I like,
1: panicked, I didn't, want
0: yeah, to be. whatever it is. And you know, like, look, like you can start to see a couple of lingering reaction shots from people where you're like, this person is probably gonna come back into the
1: like it, cousin preacher, cousin, yeah, guy like,
0: yeah. like they, they just lingered a little too long on him. Uh, when he's just like, oh, you looking for the deacon, like, I think he's over there, and then it's just like, why are I mean, he's be he's in there, he is in the mix a little bit, but. Yeah, increasingly, just I'm. I'm. It's secondary. Who did it is secondary. What I'm here for is, honestly, one of like, one of my favorite drunk performances that I've ever seen.
1: That's where I was going next. It is a instant first ballot Hall of Fame drunk performance. I'm not hearing anything from Evan
0: Peters, right? So Evan Peters shows up in the second episode, and I don't even know if we spent that much time talking about his performance because it's pretty limited in the second episode. But the third episode, we get to see. That he is not, like, the usual, like, I'm the young hotshot from out of town brought in to, like, correct your mistakes, and I play everything by the book. He's, like, a normal person. He's a real person. And he gets brought in. I love the fact that, like, he's got, like, the kind of faux silk shirt with the white t-shirt that you can see underneath. Like, he's, like, trying to kind of look slick, but he still, like, goes to Ridley High. He's a Ridley High graduate and stuff, like.
1: Also, gotta say that if you have, like, that much neck, you know, if you are part giraffe like Evan Peters is and you're in sub-zero mid-Atlantic temperatures, you got to get a scarf, buddy. You got to button that top button. You got to protect. Please move on.
0: So I, you know, whether or not he is like, uh, got anything else to him as like, whether or not his character has any uh, darkness to him, because I think, you know, they have that conversation about where he's just like, I just worked the case and I just kept interviewing people until something didn't make sense. And then I tracked back. But, you know, the the moment that they have in the bar, I thought it was just really, really perfect. I mean, first of all, it's perfect that Mr. Brightside is playing. I thought it was great how he was like just on, completely on the road to oblivion, but was just trying to hang on there and was like sort of doing her a favor, but sort, sort of talking about his, his own problems. And his breakup story was just amazing. Let me put down my bagel. <laughs> like it was just incredible.
1: I feel like for sure it was a lender's bagel. You know, I feel like yeah. it was absolutely a frozen bagel. I think he's May- not getting maybe
0: maybe in Einstein's.
1: Oh, you think? Is that up is that higher class for this character? At this well, moment? it would just
0: be like you went and got the bagel rather than it was in a bag.
1: Oh, I yeah. see. And then got blindsided. I, I think that Winslet does, is deservingly getting a ton of attention. Her accent work is getting better and better as the episodes go on. Peters nails it. Mm-hmm. He not only nails and does it the drunk. accent. Yeah. But his gets it drunk, but also his physicality of this character is phenomenal. And I gotta say, I I wasn't I didn't have stock in Evan Peters. I think I've always enjoyed his presence in the things that I've seen him in. He was really good in my friend Scott's movie Adult World ten years ago. He's was good in those X-Men movies and was fun in WandaVision. on WandaVision. But what I What a didn't, year for him. I didn't watch the American Horror Story show, so I don't know. I didn't realize what a really cool kind of just vibey and surprising actor he is. Because the physicality of the character is what sets him apart. You know, the little ways that, like, he's not wearing the right coat. And she says, get a coat. And then when you see him again, he's proud that he got a new coat and she doesn't notice it. And you, he plays that without it being part of the dialogue. And then the drunk performance, like, overall in the show kudos to the to Inglesby again because people get fucked up on this show. Mm-hmm. It is not your standard TV drinking where you can just sip stuff forever and you just get smarter or wiser or the things, every, your jokes get a little bit bawdier or maybe you smash a plate. Like, everybody is literally the smashed plate yes. once they walk into a tavern on the show and I love it. And you rarely see people play that drunk and get away with it and get the accent and get the character. It was really cool. Um, so,
0: they're obviously like 85% of episode three is all interconnected. So, and it just feels very much like the, the tension from one scene gets built up mm-hmm. into the next scene. That's why she makes the decision that she makes at the end of the episode. The seeds of distrust are starting to be sown all around town because rumors are spreading. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to imply it. The implication is like Dylan is holding DJ, as baby and is starting to wonder whether or not he's mm-hmm. the kid's father. Um, the one thing that's sort of like existing kind of separate from all of that is the Siobhan s- subplot, <laughs> which I you know, we've we've had a lot of fun talking about Manic and Pussy for the last couple of weeks. But I did want to ask you like her being a documentary filmmaker and lead mm. singer in an indie rock band visiting Haverford College Radio and now oh, going to go see Boy Genius on a date. I kind of don't want this to tie back into the mystery. Like, I just want it to be like 80% of this show is this dark, fucked up detective drama. And then there's like Siobhan's coming of age story yeah. is on the side.
1: Follow up questions. Where's Boy Genius playing? Are they the playing Met. at the truck? The Met. Are they big it's enough a, to play she Electric said, Factory? We're,
0: we're, she said they were going, she was going to see them at the Met. So I think that that, unless I'm behind on my Philadelphia venues, I don't, I don't know if that's fictional or not.
1: So that's fictional, but Boy Genius is real. Yes. We've also established, I'm sorry, I got to break out the big board, the Carrie Matheson crazy board, but now established canon that Mannequin Pussy is a band that exists in this universe.
0: That gets covered.
1: That gets covered mm-hmm. because Siobhan's band is called Androgynous. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think we're beginning to formulate it. The, the challenging thing, and this is was echoed by Missy, the lead singer of Mannequin Pussy on Twitter, is that now she is plausibly a suspect. <laughs> 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 because she exists now. So I appreciated her willingness to step forward with that. Yes. I agree. I think the thing that the documentary stuff is is what it is, but I really appreciated the um I don't even mean this as a as as wordplay, but the coming out of Siobhan as a almost equal stakeholder in the emotional life of this larger family. It was really a crucial moment of that. And, and, and easily lost, but in the Mayor frank confrontation on the screen porch, that Siobhan is there bearing witness to it. This is her parents. And, you know, Mayor's total disregard for Siobhan's emotional well-being in that moment about what's being said about her father. Mayor's immediate plea to, you should be on my side because I'm right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, this should be happening, if it's going to happen at all, a million miles away from the spot where you are. And then we get the piece of, Siobhan has access to her brother in a way other people don't and an understanding and a connection to him and his story. Then the piece, you know, that the, um, her late, um, too many characters, I apologize, but that Mare's late son's partner, the mother,
0: Carrie, Carrie,
1: is like, he hated you. Yes. You know, you were a bad mother and then she says to Sable, you were a bad mother. Um,
0: Brianna Del Rosso also seemed to be saying, your son killed himself because of you, you know?
1: Yeah, the son stuff (laughs) is the third rail throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Anytime anyone says it to her, her, her just lights go out. But I do think that it, it, Rich, it's Richard a, trying
0: to do some, like, some, some really vulnerable shit with her. I,
1: please, please stand by for some Richard commentary as we end this episode. <laughs> but I just think it's it, it, it's a very smart, and I hope they, they see it through and do it justice. But I think building Siobhan as- I mean, we can joke about it being a side plot that we're interested in because we are, but I think that it's important to suggest that there could be one survivor from this emotional shipwreck. Yeah,
0: I hope she gets the fuck out of there. Like, I think that 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 is one thing that has not really, like, been discussed in Easttown is, like, does anyone leave? It seems like everyone's cousins and everyone has known each other since high school and there are, like, 25 people who live in town.
1: And all the parents are super young. Yeah,
0: and they're doing a really good job depicting that. And I know that there are, like, that is a real thing, but, like, no one has gotten the... Bruce Springsteen get me the hell out of here vibe yet. And it, Siobhan is the one who seems to be like, maybe I'll go make docs for the Duplass brothers and, and just, you know, tour the Eastern Eastern seaboard with androgynous.
1: So we love the show. We can't wait for episode four. If that's where you are as well, feel free to sign off. Great job, Bransky's. We had a fun podcast. We'll be back on Thursday mm-hmm. or Friday. Um, If you're sticking around, I do have to just drop a concern bomb of a theory that's in my head that I'm worried about. And it's the only, and we have not watched ahead. I want to be clear about that at all. I don't even watch the next week on because I just
0: just want to. You think it's Richard?
1: It's not just that it could be Richard. It's that the one thing that the broad churches of the world have taught us is watch out for the one you're taking your eye off of. And we were joking last week about Richard's book and what it's about. Maze Landing? Is Maze Landing about a charming rogue who dive bombs into a community and lights a match and watches it all burn? Is the secret to this show in the book? Did he know enough about how incestuous this place is that he killed someone to watch it all fall down? Is this idea too dangerous to be on the podcast? Kaya I thought cut that my the mic. first I
0: episode suggested that he at least would not have been in town for the disappearance of Dawn's daughter, correct? Correct, right. So the idea that the Dawn's daughter's disappearance and Aaron's death is connected would suggest the same killer, which would, to some extent, inoculate Richard from Suspicion. And Richard does seem, at least in these first few episodes, to be there mostly to draw Mare's, a different side of Mare out for viewers, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, His presence, though, is way too fucking weird to just be like, this is cool. This is cool color. Like, he is going to be involved in this in some way. And his little reverie about when I published my book, it turned out I really loved young women being into my book. And that did not work well for my marriage and my 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 relationship with my son. So that would suggest that he's in the cut there. I don't know, but like I also don't like it would be really weird if in the fourth or fifth episode they're like, mm-hmm. Richard has in fact been doing like writing workshops for the teens of this town and and is a serial killer.
1: I very much hope not. I very much hope that it is in the vein of what we were suggesting for Siobhan, which is Richard being there, he is the Bruce Springsteen album. You yes. know, that's like, yes. oh, you, there's another way of being thing being and doing things. I mean, the way that Kate Winslet says he's a writer is so funny. It's basically like being it's like she said he's a spaceman.
0: Sure. Know? Yeah.
1: Um and I like him there as a reflection of not even a reflection, a porthole window to a different world. Not necessarily a better one in always, but just fundamentally different. That said, first or second thing he said to her was, I don't have any bodies under my porch yet. Mm-hmm. So Look, we're we're asking the questions, which is what a show like this ought to be doing, you know? I, 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 purely from a, I, not even purely, from a slightly cynical perspective, HBO wants a magnificent series, but they don't want a magnificent series that no one's talking about. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just like, well, that was good. They want us to be, Yeah. I think that
0: when I watched the first episode, I was like, this is incredible. They're making like a small town drama that has a murder mystery that's sort of tangentially involved in it. Yeah. And now I think as we go further in, I'm finding that my mystery brain is working over time. And I'm like, every single person is a suspect. What's the possible character flaw that's going to expose them as what like their true nature? And we've already gone Mm -hmm. through this with Frank. We're going through it with the deacon. Obviously we're thinking about it with Richard. It makes it harder to be like this guy is such a, a cut up. You know, I right, we'll we'll see. Like it's tough to see Guy Pierce doing a show to just be like, I'm gonna have three nice dinners with Mare, and it turns out a relationship doesn't work out. Like I think he'll have something to do with like the larger plot of yeah. the show.
1: One of the rules of these shows, whoever did it has to be in the first episode. That's a rule. So the killer's on the show and we're gonna find out. But to bring it all the way back, despite what I was just saying, despite my concern trolling. I just really am happy to be along for the ride. That is not where my brain is generally, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. All right. well, As, we can- as you should too, listeners, the next episode of the Watch Podcast. <laughs> How's that?
0: <laughs> we can wrap it up there. We're going to be back later this week for Top Chef, and I'll also have an interview with Mythic Quest's Rob McElhenney on that day. Nice. So that will be cool. Stay tuned to that. And then uh, next week, I guess, we will have episode two of our bureau uh, series. So, we will? Well, we have to. It's two weeks. I said we'd go over two weeks, right?
1: Yeah, but listeners should know Chris and his wife have been dragging their heels. I don't know how to say dragging their heels in French, <laughs> but my household is chomping at Look, bit. Look, you're, back you're, on the mic.
0: You're free to do whatever you got to do, man. If you need to finish the series, go for it.
1: I cannot. I cannot. I have to be <laughs> present. God. Okay, good. So we're going to do that. Great. That yes. just made my next, day.
0: Next week we will do it. Okay, so let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Nice to talk to you.
1: Have a great week, Branskins.